Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you this week? Hey, good morning, Wayne. I'm well. How are you? Doing fine. Hanging in there. And uh, one of the one of the good developments is the Pfizer vaccine, and that's being rolled out today in the United Kingdom. And it's expected that the FDA and the CDC on this Thursday will give the emergency use authorization. So maybe you can give us a summary of all of those developments. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Wayne. Um, I'm happy to do it. So, yeah, so this Thursday, uh, the the committee that the external advisory committee made up of really uh, leading national experts uh, is going to be meeting. Uh, actually, they're meeting uh, Wednesday and Thursday, but Thursday is the main day. And they're going to make a recommendation to the FDA about what they should do on the Pfizer vaccine. And my guess, of course, I'm not a member of that committee and you know, the committee will do what it does. But my guess is the committee is going to recommend that the FDA authorize the vaccine for emergency use. And my guess is that soon thereafter, the FDA, which has doesn't have to listen to the committee, will listen to the committee and will authorize it. And so either late Thursday or early Friday morning, we're going to get an authorization from the FDA. And the moment it is authorized, people can start getting vaccinated. And so there's a bit of logistics. I have I had hoped that the the vaccine, the Pfizer vaccine, would be ready to ship on Thursday afternoon, uh, and as soon as the announcement happened, it would get shipped, and that Friday would be would see the first American outside of a clinical trial get vaccinated. That's still possible. It could be a day or two later. I mean, you know, there's some logistical issues, obviously. So uh, those are those are some of the things. But uh, I think it's exciting, and you know, the UK did move about eight days before we did. Uh, they authorized on, on the second and they're going to get their first people getting vaccinated today. And again, I suspect we'll have ours in the next four or five days. So very close to each other. A number of our listeners have uh, wondered why there was a delay or several weeks between Pfizer announcing, you know, the safety and efficacy and the FDA and the CDC getting to the emergency youth use authorization. Maybe you can explain what that is about. Absolutely. And there's also people who are saying, well, why did the UK do it before us? I've heard that question and they're related. And and let me walk people through what happened. So Pfizer does its own analysis of its data and says, hey, here's our efficacy. Here's our safety. And then they submit literally tens of thousands of pages of documentation to the FDA. And the FDA has two choices at that moment. They can take Pfizer's word for it. And I have no reason to doubt Pfizer's word. I mean, they're not going to, I don't think they're going to lie. I don't think they're going to be deceptive. So they can take Pfizer's word and say, sounds good. Or the FDA can do its own independent check. And its own independent check isn't just running the basic numbers. What FDA will do is they will go through every individual potential adverse event. They will look carefully at every single reported symptom by, and look for patterns and maybe Pfizer missed something. It, 
what FDA has had is they've had 150 staff members working day and night over the last two weeks, pouring through all of the data to make sure we're not missing a needle in a haystack in terms of like some adverse events, some problem. And this is why the FDA is considered the gold standard around the globe for authorization and approval. Because when FDA authorizes something, everybody else in the world says, wow, uh, it must be okay because the FDA has been so, so good. I personally, I appreciate that there was a delay. I think it was worth doing because imagine that we missed something important, some adverse events, some bad consequence. The cost of that, in terms of people then not feeling confident about the vaccine would be so high that I would rather take a quote unquote eight day delay. I don't see it as a delay. I see it as a process in order to get it right. That's what's been happening. It, it isn't a bureaucratic delay. It is literally going through probably hundreds of thousands of pages of documentation. So this sounds to me like a sound practice and in, 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 in the in the interest of the public, not just here in the U.S., but around the world. It is. And, you know, um, look, uh, you know, people have criticized some people have criticized the UK for not going through that process. I'm not interested in criticism at this moment. I, I think they did a good job, but they were not quite as thorough as the FDA is being. You know, if the thoroughness cost us a two month delay, I'd have real problems with that. But literally, it's eight days to get a lot more thoroughness. I think it is in the interest of the of the American people and the people of the world. And I'm grateful that the FDA has done it as quickly as they have. We have talked, uh, I think, pretty much every podcast uh, about the disease implications, the physical disease itself. But there's another cost here. Uh, one is economic and a second is the mental health cost of this pandemic. And, and I'm wondering if you can address that, because that is in, in many ways as important as the physical part, certainly for, for survivors and for people who have family members and just the, the population in general going forward. This has been a very traumatic period for pretty much everyone. Oh, it's been awful. Uh, the mental health costs are massive. And I have sort of two or three thoughts about this that I think are worth um, voicing. So first and foremost, Let's, let's just acknowledge the obvious, which is uh, we have just seen, I mean, we've seen, especially among children, Wayne, uh, but among adults too, uh, the rates of suicide attempts, the rates of suicide, anxiety, depression. You know, we are, as human beings, we are not meant to live like this, right? Isolated, not interacting with our family and friends, not being able to be social. This is not who we are. And this has been just an awful, awful experience. There's also on top of that, all the fear around the virus. Uh, so it's not just the isolation, it's the fear, it's the, and, uh, and then, then there's also, of course, the element that people who have gotten sick, have recovered, uh, but a lot of them end up having mental health issues. So it's it's quite substantial. I, I will lay out one important, there's a little political, more policy. Um, you know, there's a group of people who have taken the isolation effects of, of this and the, and the mental health effects of isolation and have used it as a way to try to argue that we shouldn't have social distancing, that we shouldn't be doing any of this stuff, that everything should just open up because the mental health costs are too high. Scott Atlas, who was in the White House, this was one of his main arguments. It, it was pretty disingenuous because the best way, so we don't want to have to trade off between overwhelmed hospitals and lots of people dying 
or isolation mental health. The best way to have managed this is to have actually managed the pandemic. Imagine that we had built out great testing and tracing infrastructure. Imagine that we had South Korea style suppressed the virus in our communities. We could then have people get out and in, interact and engage and yet not have to worry about overwhelming our hospitals and having people die. So we could have done this better. I don't want to look in the rear view mirror now, and, but I do want to look forward. I think we're going to be dealing with the, the mental health repercussions of this mismanaged pandemic for years. And it's got to be probably top priority for us as we emerge from this pandemic to figure out exactly how we help people recover. It's been awful. What advice or guidance would you have for individuals who are suffering in a mental health respect? Yeah. You know, what I would say is, uh, and what I have been saying to people is um, try to engage and interact with people as much as you can. Uh, I'm not suggesting FaceTime is equivalent to real time, right? Uh, but, but, forming connections with people as much as possible, maintaining connections that don't let the physical isolation turn into a total emotional and, and uh, isolation. Um, I also say to people that the end is coming. Uh, we're not, this is not what life is going to be like a year from now. And I'm not even six months from now, it'll be much better. So hang tough and then obviously get help. But you know, the problem there is I'm talking to a lot of mental health providers they're swamped. They can't like, so it's hard for people to even get mental health. But I definitely, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling certain, if you're feeling suicidal, but get help, uh, get through the next few months, it'll get better and try your best to connect with people, even if it's not through physical contact. And of course, uh, in terms of professional intervention, there is telehealth, there is teletherapy, and those are all options that people might want to consider. Absolutely. Absolutely. People should consider them and, and being proactive and preemptive about them. Because uh, if you're starting to feel down, if you're starting to struggle, like acting early is really important. So just wanted to close with uh, sort of a shout out to our audience. Um, I think we're going to start taking a question or two from our audience. And if you have questions that you would like us to consider, and we won't be able to get to every one of them, of course, please send those questions to me, Wayne Miller. And my email address is gwmiller at providencejournal.com. So, Ashish, thank you again. Stay safe. We'll see you in a week. Be well. Thank you, Wayne. And I'm super excited to take audience questions. I, I have to say nothing against you. Your questions are terrific, Wayne, but I always find the audience <laughs> questions uh, to be the most, uh, sometimes the most challenging, but always the most interesting and important questions. So I'm excited about them and I look forward to answering them uh, next week. But until then, uh, please do stay safe as well. And I look forward to being back on with you next week. Take care, Ashish. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. 